folks, and welcome to Gelsnet, the Independent Rangers podcast, YouTube channel, website, and all-round social media empire by Rangers fans, for Rangers fans, for all your contents, absolutely free. Coming to you in association with Forest Precision Engineering. My name's Alec Anderson, and we're recording this special World Cup bonus episode uh, on the evening of Tuesday, the 29th of November, 2022. 150 years and 24 hours before Scotland played England in the world's first ever international football match, which took place not 15 minutes from where I'm sitting at the West of Scotland cricket ground. Um, where you get a pint in the super staunch Stumps on Peel Street and Rangers would play their first Scottish Cup final five years later. Um, international football carried on after that to the point where India were banned from the 1950 World Cup finals because they had no boots. Cameroon, as we know, played at the 2002 World Cup finals with no sleeves. And when Gianni Infantino last week said that he knew what it felt like to be gay, disabled and a migrant worker, we knew he had absolutely no shame. And uh, after my first soporific turn in the, the host share, I'll demonstrate the, the same lack of shame by cruising on here and uh, continuing to, to be a host, despite, like Gianni, um, being absolutely terrible at my job. As Baldy ex-Gingers have to stick together, Gianni, yeah. Um, but all seriousness, it's going to be a, um, a quite an intellectual uh, programme tonight. We are going to be discussing the, the very notion uh, of nationhood itself. Is it just a social construct? You know, um, why is Gianni Infantino asking us to put politics aside when uh, arbitrary lines drawn on a map are the very reason that we have nations to take part in his World Cup? We'll be employing the uh, Hegelian dialectic, um, wondering if Qatar is the thesis and Western liberal democracy is the antithesis. Uh, is this World Cup the synthesis, which is going to bring us all a new moral harmony uh, in the globe. And more importantly than that, we'll be asking, who's the biggest douchebag in these adverts on STV at halftime uh, in the games? I think it's the guy who's getting that Aston Martin and, and, and driving into the desert, and he's wearing a big... He's wearing like a pilot's jacket with a furry collar in, in, in the desert, mate. I don't even know what it's for. He's pointing to stuff like a catalogue model, you know. He's a bit an idiot. Um, and then you've got uh, Gerard Butler, who's uh, demonstrating that there's a pair of shoes out there that look absolutely ridiculous, no matter what situation uh, you wear them in, his choice. Brian, what do you think of These adverts are absolutely terrible, aren't they? What's, what's happening there? Ah, they're pretty terrible. Um, the one that caught my eye personally was the one that uh, involved a different Gerard, and that was our ex-manager, Stephen Gerard. I was a bit surprised to see him pop up in an advert, but um, aye, nonetheless, they're all pretty poor. Aye, I, I, Kevin Bacon, I'm supposed to hate Kevin Bacon, he's, he's doing all right in the EE adverts, you know, and, 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 I, and I know it's for EE, you know, whereas like, I mean, well, Zidane, he's the other end of the scale, you know, it uh, doesn't matter what, I don't know what he's actually selling, I think it's a perfume and an aftershave or something, it could be cat's pee, it's Zidane selling it, I'll buy it, I want it for Christmas, <laughs> just just get me the Zizou thing, you know, man's cool as anything. Um, so, yeah, folks, we'll be talking about uh, strips. We'll be talking about the uh, best goals of the tournament. We'll be talking about um, why the second round was so much better in the first round and, and uh, who we fancy to, to do the business uh, in qualifying for the knockout stages of this World Cup. And I'm delighted to say, uh, to assist me in this enterprise, uh, the man who who makes it all happen behind the scenes and uh, provides a sensible chat uh, from our online, Mr Brian Archer. Brian, how are you doing, mate? I'm doing very well. Uh, I don't know about sensible chat, but I'll try my best. <laughs> well, compared to me, anyway, but you know, it's it's pretty sensible what Henry's got to say compared to uh, old mouthy here. But uh, it is Jersnet. We're going to do exactly what it says in the tin for once. Um, Michael Beale, the Beale reveal. You know, um, we've uh, we've extracted the Michael from Loftus Road. We've taken the mic from QPR. Uh, Brian, the QPR fans are raging. How are you how are you feeling about it? Are you absolutely bealing or are you walking with your feet ten feet off the Beale? That old days with the Beale puns, I think. <laughs> 
Um, to be honest, the more I kind of think about it, the more the more excited I get. I wasn't really sure about it at first when it was first rumoured. I kind of thought, is it about the easy choice? Then I kind of got a bit intrigued by it and thinking, well, you know, he's probably not going to be a complete carbon copy of Gerald, so I'm quite interested to see how he puts his own spin on it. I seen somebody on Twitter say they felt galvanised by it, and especially by reading these comments, these um, things have been saying in the press since he got appointed, and I've got to say that's a pretty good word. I'm going to steal that. I feel pretty galvanised by it myself. Exactly. I know that's 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 a good way of putting it. It's it's really he's, he's been talking in his first presser about um taking the handbrake off, you know, and playing, you know, playing football, you know, that's kind of more entertaining and he wants to win, uh, but he wants to do it in a way that, that excites us and he wants to do training in a way that it, it excites the players. Is that something that excites you or kind of worries you? Um, no, it definitely excites me. Um, you know, let's be honest that, that at this moment in time, what he says you can kind of only take so much from it. The proof's going to be in the pudding in terms of what he produces on the park and kind of what we see in a match day. Um, hopefully he's true to the world and he takes the handbrake off. I think that's what we've all been wanting is to see the team play with a bit more freedom, a bit more style, just just to see like they're enjoying their football again. I think towards the end of their duel, it really felt like the players were just weren't enjoying their football and that's something you never want to see from your team. So hopefully he's true to his world and he gets the players playing with a bit of freedom and a bit of style and just excites the fans again. I know. I think it's something I've been saying to, to Colin and other guys when we're doing the, the, the pods all through this kind of tough period uh, under Geo. I'm I'm never bothered that if if I don't understand, you know, the, the identity of the team. This is a big this has become a big topic of conversation. This team has no identity, you know, we, we don't know what they're trying to do. It doesn't bother me if I don't know what they're trying to do. It's just if, if the players need to know what they're trying to do. And I have to be honest, I, I couldn't give a monkey's about the uh, the style. The, there's, there's a Graham Greene line, the great kind of novelist uh, writer, he he talks about, you know, there's always people talking about character versus plot, you know, when it comes to writing a book. And he says, well, character is plot. And I always feel that, you know, winning is style when it comes to football. When it comes, any sport, just to keep winning, you know, is, is the hardest thing to do in any sport. And it gets to a point where even if you're grinding out grim one nils, if you're doing them, you know, nine or ten in a row, then it becomes an art form. You know, and it is entertaining to watch uh, in itself. But um, I was a bit, I, I must admit, I'm a bit kind of, I'm not saying underwhelmed. You know, it's, its uh, I think it's, apart from anything else, it's just been kind of so slowly obvious. Suddenly Gio was in trouble and then it became inevitable that he was going to get sacked. And kind of segue with that, it was suddenly uh, Michael Beale was going to be the manager and, and he gets appointed, you know. And I know the QPR fans feel kind of betrayed. You know, by, by by what's happened. And that's nice for us because we were all we were the ones feeling betrayed a year ago when, when Stevie G took Beal uh, down to Aston Villa. Um so you always a League Cup semi-final, Michael. That's your first thing you need to give us. That, that's coming up in January. Uh, but do you think the way he's left QPR, these assurances he made them about loyalty and what have you, the things that QPR fans will make a big deal about, the way he kind of um he was kind of Banco's ghost at the feast at that Aberdeen game recently, you know, when Gio's not Gio's people took that as some kind of briefing against Gio almost, almost kind of getting him uh, sacked at the job, um, knowing that he was available as a person. Does that kind of behaviour worry you? Uh, or is it just a sign that Michael Beale's really determined to get what he wants? Honestly, it doesn't worry me uh, because, you know, not you know not too much longer than a year ago, we were on the other end of that in terms of Gerard leaving at the drop of a hat. Um, and I don't honestly think the visit of Michael Beale, you know, a couple of weeks ago was anything sinister behind that. I know people might say, that there was, and yeah, Gio might feel a bit um, a bit put off by it, but I honestly don't think there was anything sinister behind it. I don't think he knew then that he was potentially going to be in for this job. Um, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm being too naive, but I just I don't think there was anything sinister behind it. 
Um, and to be honest, for me, the way I look at it is that true loyalty doesn't really exist in football anymore. We're not going to get a Walter Smith that's going to stay here for 10 years the way he did in the 90s. Um, that just doesn't happen anymore. If a manager comes here and does well, they'll be off down south, as we've seen with Gerard. And if they don't do well, the reality is at Rangers that he won't be here very long. And that's that's just the, the bread and butter of it, to be honest. There's not, managers aren't going to come to Rangers anymore and stay you know, for six to ten years. It just doesn't happen. The fact we've only had... 18 managers in 151 years history is, is quite incredible to be honest but I don't think it'll stay like that for the next 150 years Aye, yeah that, that's it. Uh, I think there's, uh, people have been kind of looking at it as a strange version of the kind of the kind of succession uh, model that was that was set almost by Soonis and then Walter Smith it's almost like it's had a year's interruption um, with Gio you know but we've interrupted like the the, the, the European Cup winning captain uh, from Anfield made his name at Anfield as a player Comes into Rangers as a manager when we've been struggling for you know best part of a decade, lifts us up with the bootstraps, and then his assistant kind of takes over. Um, it's just been interrupted by the fact that Bill went to went to Villa with with Gerard. But I think there's also the kind of Willie Waddle, Jock Wallace going back a bit earlier. You know Willie Waddle again. I mean like Gio, you know he took us to a European final. He won the European final, but he didn't actually win the league. Willie Waddle, but he set in motion um, the Jock Wallace years of of winning. You know like two trebles in the space of three seasons and that because Jock Wallace was his assistant and and uh, he brought him through. I'm just I'm just wondering that with Beal coming in uh, the way he has, people are expecting that we're maybe got another Walter Smith. And I'm not sure I'm not sure that that's you know or maybe even another Jock Wallace. I'm not sure that that's the case. I think he's I think he's got a, a lot to prove. He's still really early doors uh, in being a manager of his own team. You know, but he's making he's making noises about the style of football he's got to play. What do you think his actual targets are for this season? Is it too late? Is, is the league a bogey? Am I just using this as a kind of transition season? Or are we expecting more? For me, I'm never going to concede the league. It, it does look to be a difficult task. I'm never going to concede it. Um, I don't think we should ever do that at Rangers. Um, but it does look to be it will prove difficult. For me, his goals for the rest of this season is at least one trophy, be that the Scottish Cup or the League Cup, preferably both. Um, and he has to, at the very minimum, he has to reduce that gap to Celtic. It cannot get any wider. And we need to see meaningful progress on the park. And preferably, we need to be beating Celtic and getting back to the days under Gerald when we seem to have Celtic's number. Um, you know, Gerald went, you know, a good number of games without without losing it then. And I think we need to get back to that. Um, but I'm never going to concede the league, but I will admit that it does look to be an uphill battle. Aye, and I think. I think for me, it's something I didn't know. Um, so I was talking to Colin uh, doing a wee pod uh, last week on on Gio's departure, and when Bill was already the front runner, it was kind of I didn't realise he was so attached to Scotland as a place to live. And it's like I think we went from a strange situation where we we're taking it as a you know it was going to be impossible that we could get Michael Bill when he was doing so well at QPR and Wills were in for him. You're thinking we can't outspend uh, Premier League clubs, and then you know QPR's form fell through the floor. Um, and suddenly it was available and we felt maybe I think a few fans out there felt a bit kind of we've got a cheaper option but I think in between it's, it's somewhere in between that and Bill his desire to come back to Rangers that's a massive thing for me this job is so difficult you need to have you know a real desire to be you need to enjoy the kind of uh, the almost insanity of it you know as I said to Colin you know if you don't win every game three nothing you're going to get slagged by your own supporters you know, and I think Bill's definitely got that. I think he, he must love Scotland um, as a place to stay. And he's he's young enough. I think you also need to have like enough youth about you, you, you know, 
people are wanting experienced managers, but I think you need to be young and have something to prove to kind of take what's coming at you. You have that kind of thirst uh, for success. And um, one of the things I find kind of most encouraging about Michael Beale's also the thing I think makes most worrying about him is that there's something in his eyes. He looks slightly deranged, you know, and that can be a, that can, you know, it can be deranged in the I need to win everything all the time and I'll kill you if you don't go along with that. That's fine by me. I'm just worried if he's if he's too much of a kind of um, idealist and maybe he gets caught up, you know. But for me, no, the, the guy seems to, he, he wants the job. Um, he's definitely proven in, in the technical side of things as a coach, he's absolutely uh, fantastic. You know, I, I think that he's, there's various glowing testimonies, uh, testimonials for him uh, going on this week uh, in, in, in various parts of the media. He seems to know what he's doing. Um, I also think the board, you know, Gio was struggling for a wee while there. And it was just like he gets sacked last Monday. And then within a week and a few hours, we've got a new manager in place. For all the criticism the board have been taking, do you think they've handled this uh, pretty smoothly? They seem to have, yeah. They seem to have acted decisively, which is the one thing I wanted. The one thing I didn't want to see happen when they sacked you last week was that this was going to be a long, drawn-out process. That was the one thing we didn't need when you've got name after name being linked and then nothing being appointed, and then kind of similarly what happened when they ended up appointing Graham Murray was that they couldn't get their main man and they gave it to Graham Murray at the time. He didn't want a situation like that again where they struggle to get their main man and then it just becomes weeks and weeks of rumour and speculation. So they seem to have known who they wanted right from the start. They did say in the statement they've kind of looked at other candidates and potentially interviewed other candidates which is good that they've kind of cast their net a bit wider but they've I think they've always known who their number one target was um, and they've went and got them and for me that's exactly what you want when when you need that kind of swift managerial change um, and that seems to be what they've done. Neil said when he left with Gerard last year that he would love to come back and do it all again and he's got that opportunity and I think he's got a real hunger about him that he wants to, to come and and do this, I don't think he would have left for many other clubs, because I do think he was committed to QPR, I'll be honest, I don't think you know, I wouldn't I know they'll, their fans will be upset by him leaving but I do think he was he was committed to them, but I also think he'd been up front with them and told them that look, if Glasgow Rangers comes in that's a job I can't turn down, and I think he's always been fairly open about that similar in the way that Gerard was pretty open with us, that if Liverpool ever came in for him, he would he would be off, now obviously Gerard ended up taking the Aston Villa job um, and that's fair enough, he's entitled to do that. But um, no, I do think that, um, that Beale's proven that he wants the job. He's got the job now, and now it's just all about what he does on the park. Right. I think there was shades of, I mean, it's ridiculous to be to be talking about in the same breath as, as Walter Smith, but there was definitely shades of Walter. He was in the Scotland job. There was, there was only one job that was going to take him away from that, you know, and I do, I do like that. I think that's always a good thing. You know, the manager desperately wants to be uh, at Rangers. Also, if he's going to, if he's using us as a stepping stone, I said this with Gerard, I said this with, with Gio as well, that's absolutely fine by me. You know, if, if if we're all up in arms because, you know, Chelsea or Manchester United have come in to, to take him off as, uh, you know, in a year's time, then he must have done a hell of a job. So that, 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 that's the way we benefit, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's how we've got to look at it now, that probably most managers are going to come up here and use Rangers or Celtic for that matter as a stepping stone. But if that's the way they look at it, then the way we've got to look at it is that, you know, if they're doing that and they get taken away by a club in the Premier League, that means they've won, you know, a good number of trophies here and that's that can only be a positive thing. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll have more pods out, guys, um, discussing, obviously, the, the new Rangers manager, Michael Beale, in uh, much more detail. But this is a, a World Cup bonus pod. And uh, as promised, I'm now going to talk about a tournament uh, which, other than Graham Soonis and uh, 
sorry, our local sister uh, being pundits and Ali McCoyston and co-coms and uh, Tom Miller, substitute Clive Tilsley as commentator. has got absolutely nothing to, to do with Rangers. Um, I know we'll get Borna's on the bench for Croatia being replaced by another Borna and Jason Cummings is uh, played against the World Champions. Humdog played against France in the World Cup finals. Whoever thought we'd, we'd, we'd see that? Um, but I think it's one of those ones people are still think. Why? Why would you want to do um, a, a podcast about the World Cup uh, on Jersey, especially a World Cup that's been kind of basically twelve years of criminality? Um, yes, we want to provide content for our, our six thousand uh, YouTube subscribers, but why can we not just talk about you know their favourite films? You know, I mean, like Hot Tub Time Machine, or you know the the, the best kind of albums out there. You know, Rubber Soul, OK Computer, Closer, or the the greatest hits of uh, Daniel O'Donnell. That's my personal favourite. But um, it's one of these things, folks, I, I think ITV last night touched on it. They did a lovely piece on the, the Cruyff turn um, and their kind of preamble to Uruguay uh, against Portugal. Um, and they didn't go far enough for me because I think the big thing that's been spoken about by the, the, um, the Prime Ministers of the last uh, few months trickled down. I think every World Cup has this massive trickle-down effect uh, on the rest of the game. Every World Cup... Um, is absolutely vital to to Rangers uh, and to every other supporter, player, you know, a football club uh, uh, on the planet, as, as far as I'm concerned, anyway, speaking personally. Uh, I think the, the oldest anecdote I remember, um, <laughs> the oldest kind of joke I remember in football circles um, is the one about, the, you know, the guy has a head injury on the park, usually a juniors game, a kind of non-league game, and uh, the trainer goes on and, the, you know, the fellas concussed and he turns around and the trainer shouts at the bench, he doesn't know who he is. You know, and the, and the manager shouts back, well, tell him he's Pelly and put him up front. And the whole thing is, as bad a joke as that is, it was told to me by, you know, people of your, you know, your grandparents' age who would never have, you know, there was no live football on the telly, didn't even have tellies. How did they know about Pelly? They, they knew about him because he was a 17-year-old boy who'd uh, scored two goals in the 1958 World Cup final um, and come back in 62 and 66. And then, you know, it, it, the legends, you know, that, that come, the, the legends that are spread, they're, kind of, they're forged in the white-hot heat uh, of, of the World Cup finals. I grew up, it was Maradona. He should have played in 78. He was bitter about that until he died. He didn't get picked for the 78 World Cup. He'd been cut before that. Um, he ends up, he goes to Spain, 82. And you see him growing up in front of your very eyes, you know, by getting getting himself sent off and not really able to handle the pressure. He turns up in 1986 and he wins the World Cup basically on his own, as close as you'll ever get to anybody, anybody doing that because he's, he's learned how to do it. And, you know, as he's getting towards the back end of his career, he drags Argentina into another final in 1990. And that's why I know he's the greatest player of all time um, for, for what he's achieved until Ronaldo or Messi win a World Cup. I know, and the guys my age know, they can't rival him as being the, the, the greatest player of all time. And I thought, last night, I just watched that little article. I'm sorry to go on here, but I think it bears, it bears saying, uh, I watched that little piece on ITV about the, about the Cruyff turn, and it was the things they didn't mention. Um, they didn't mention, well, first of all, it was the Westfalen Stadium. In, in, in Dortmund, which well, Rangers, this is an example of how it affects us all. Rangers, Willie Waddle based the rebuilding of Ibrox on the Westfalen. He modelled Ibrox that we'd be sitting just now uh, on the Westfalen Stadium. Uh, Johan Cruyff, you know, Colin Armstrong's got a great article on his blog about how he come, came to Ibrox and they uh, played in the first ever Super Cup final you know, the, the, the year prior and they laid on those skills. Yanni Olsen, the, the guy, he, he turns inside out. Nobody nobody actually mentioned the fact that it was a nil-nil draw. That game between the Netherlands and Sweden um, and the, the second round of games in 1974 World Cup was actually a draw. It ended ended nil-nil. And uh, Orian Persson, a former Rangers player at that point, he played for Rangers in the uh, late 60s up to the 70s. He came on later on after, after the turn had taken place, but he came on later on in that game. And 
earlier this year, when I watched Ryan Kent doing a, a mini Cruyff turn on, and I hope that the cameras have been switched around. I hope the cameras at the Westfalen some some point in the last 50 or 48 years have actually switched stands so that Ryan Kent performed his little Cruyff turn in the exact same corner uh, as Cruyff did, not, not uh, the one opposite. And part of the reason it was so beautiful, the way he teed up um, John Lundstrom for that for that lovely third goal we scored in Dortmund, that iconic third goal we scored in Dortmund. He's performing a Cruyff turn in the stadium where the Cruyff turn was first publicised. He actually did it in the 72 European Cup final against Inter Milan as well, but nobody knows that. Um, it was absolutely magical because he was also turning a, a World Cup winning defender inside out in, in Mats Hummels. Um, and it was the fact that this guy has won the World Cup and look what Ryan Kent is doing to him that made that such a, a magical moment uh, for us. And it's, be things like that. The, the, the Cruyff turn, I have to say, I am the world's worst footballer, even though I was a young and thin guy. But the one thing I could do, having watched videos of World Cups, was do a Cruyff turn. The strips they're wearing, you know, are Adidas, basic Adidas. My first World Cup I remember was 1978, and I loved those I loved those strips. Uh, I loved those, the three stripes, the basic, the lovely cut strips. And if you look closely at Johan Cruyff's strip, you'll see there is only two stripes on his socks, on his shorts, on his shirt. And that's the first we're talking about. We've got a World Cup ground just now where players can't uh, seemingly protest for the risk of a booking. He was a man who was protesting against the fact he had a contract with Puma and they were making him wear uh, Adidas Adidas gear. You should you should have a look, close look at that. You see it on YouTube, the Cruyff turn, and look at the stripes on his shirt. He did it for every game in that World Cup. He took a single stripe off his shirt. So there's a bit of politics in there as well. But for me as a kid, that was a, the skill. The only skill I could actually perform at the football was uh, was the Cruyff turn, and it worked well for a a big slow coach, uh, kind of two left feeters type like myself. So, folks, the World Cup means absolutely everything to us. It means everything to me. It has this kind of massive trickle down effect. Um, and one of the things in this World Cup that may that may actually have a bit of a trickle down effect um, is the amount of injury time that's been played. Brian, it seems to have been absolutely off the scale. We're getting games that are actually lasting like a hundred minutes. Um, have you been enjoying that? Getting your getting a, a, an extra bit of football. I have been, to be honest, and it's actually made me think there was a game last season, I think it was Rangers against Motherwell, I think it was the one we drew, one each day scored late on, but I think the ball was only in play for something ridiculous, like 43 minutes, and it made me wonder what, what, how long would that game have went on if we had this kind of injury time um, in that game, and I, I hope it does come into the, the, the kind of club game, to be honest, because I'd I think it's right that you know the fans get their get their kind of money's worth in terms of the ball actually being in play. Um, so yeah, I'm enjoying it. Um, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a positive, and I hope it's here to stay. Well, I think they're saying, and this is what I'm talking about. We trickle down. Uh, FIFA, UEFA have done this as well. I'm sure UEFA launched the uh, the the back pass rule at Euro '92. I might be misremembering that. Forgive me if I am. But they have this thing of using the biggest tournaments on the planet to actually launch directives, rule changes, protocols that they're then going to, you know, put out into the, you know, in, into the club scene for the following seasons. Um, and I'm wondering, like you say, I don't know if it's going to, they're going to actually start doing this in the club, the club game, because it's going to cause so much controversy, you know, and, and you know, it's like an early league, you know, if, if Celtic are, you know, if we end up, you know, equalising against Celtic in the 101st minute or something like that, you know, it's going to be, be hell to pay. But you actually got a situation yesterday where in two of the games, Serbia, became the first team ever to score two first-half injury time goals um, because there have been six minutes of injury time added to the first half 
And apparently it's not just because of the VAR. that They're, they're, they're trying to make up for the fact that the VAR has taken so much time um, out of the kind of, you know, the, the 45 minutes to 90 minutes of the game. They're also, apparently, they're, going to, they're now going to stop the clock for celebrations, you know. Um, and we then had Paulo Bento, the Portugal manager, on the park getting sent off because his team, South Korea, hadn't been allowed to take a corner in the 101st minute. You know, so you've set a precedent there. Um, do you think it's actually going to end up being it's going to cause more rammies than it gives benefits? It possibly will if clubs are scoring goals in the hundred and first minute. Um, but I'm all for it. To be honest, I'm I'm here for that kind of thing. I'm I'm all for it. Let's let's have it. <laughs> it's a, it's a Cam- Cameroon the Cameroon Serbia game. It was, a, it was a great game. Um, ends up three each draw, and apparently it was because of the celebrations when Cameroon scored. I think they were just so delighted because they'd lost the first game one 0 they took the lead in the first half, and other substitutes ran onto the park as well. So the Serbians, being the kind of bitter bams that they are, I love the Serbians, they're so angry all the time. They When they equalised, just just uh, as he reports, all their subs went on. But the referees then, they then get time to score a second goal before half-time because the referees added on time for their subs invading the pitch. So the idea that this is going to solve any, any controversy is just, I think it's just going to create even more. If you're chasing like a winner, and you get an equaliser, just get everybody on the park, and you're going to get, you're going to get an extra five minutes to get your winner. You know, it's uh, it's, it, it's, it's absolutely mad. Um, but the second round, you you, you called it on Friday. Mate. Um, we said that the first round of games there was kind of four nil nils. The, the football was pretty basic. Um, no red cards in the first round. But you said on Friday night you thought things start spicing up in the second round of games, and sure enough, that's what's happened. We had a red card in the very first second round game. Uh, Wayne Hennessy getting sent off for Wales, uh, the Welsh goalkeeper. And uh, the matches, uh, they seem to have... T- it's all a few brutal first halves, but the matches seem to have taken off. You've been enjoying it? I have been, yeah. I think the teams have seemed to be relaxed a bit more and playing a bit more of their kind of natural game. Uh, possibly they're getting used to the conditions as well. Um, so it's definitely made for a more kind of open, more entertaining games at times. So, yeah, um, been enjoying it. Um, hoping to see more goals. Hopefully that continues and it makes for a really good rest of the tournament. Um, yeah, I was lucky it was only a red card that he got after that uh, that kind of supposed challenge. I know that's the thing. It was like the first decision was a yellow card. So I think we're seeing VAR how, it, how you're starting. To, it's been taking me a while to try and work out what's in the minds of referees and linesmen. They, they seem to. You know, they're playing knowing that VAR is, yeah. is in effect. And I think that's one of the classic instances yeah. where you see, I think any other time a referee would have made that a red card straight away. But he's thinking, I'll give it a yellow because that's one of the things that VAR can upgrade. One of the things they can change uh, if possible. But I, he was kind of going there with the knees and everything, wasn't he? Yeah, it's one of those ones for me. If you do that in a, in a Friday night in Glasgow City Centre, you're spending the, the weekend in the, uh, at Her Majesty's Pleasure. Her <laughs> Majesty's Pleasure. I God knows what happened to you in Iran, if, if, a night in Tehran. But I thought I felt terrible for the Welsh. Um, I, I felt, you know, we are Celtic brothers. May may nobody say that when uh, uh, Jersey. But I did actually feel a bit sorry for them. Um, I, I do want Wales to go through. We're up against it now, but we're, we're recording this before they actually take on England. Um, but I think Iran, what they've been doing, what's happening in their country politically, and I thought it was an incredibly emotional game. And then you have an instance where they, I think it was like. 98 minutes and 101 minutes or something they, they got their two goals and they, it really was it was it was proper exciting it was it was it was proper dramatic um out of the 32 teams taking part i think only six have recorded the same result i don't mean the scoreline the actual win lose or draw they've only only six have recorded the same result in their first two games 
Um, so you're looking at France, I think Brazil uh, have won their first two games, you know, and they're kind of in amongst the favourites. Portugal have won their first two games, quite difficult games, and they're doing their usual kind of, kind of dark horse thing. Canada and Qatar, they're, they're out, you know, basically after losing their first two games. Do you think, does this mean it's a really predictable World Cup? You know, um, does it indicate a really open tournament? I don't know if I can say it's predictable given that we have seen, you know, a good number of shocks in terms of Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, Japan beating Germany. I would I would classify Iran beating Wales as a shock. I didn't personally didn't expect that. I thought Wales would win that. I actually thought Wales would qualify from this group. So it's a bit of a surprise to see them, I think, after tonight. I can't see them qualifying because I think for them to qualify they would need I think they need to beat England by four clear goals. And they need the result in the other game to go in their favour. So it looks very unlikely. And I think they're a squad that's a bit over the hill, which is possibly a theme as well. This World Cup, there's some of the squads that look a bit tired and a bit just maybe past the peak. Um, I'm thinking Belgium, certainly, is the number two ranked team in FIFA for some reason, somehow. They were t- I mean, they, they, their, their results changed, but their form didn't. They were terrible against Canada, but one. And they were, uh, I mean, they got everything they deserved uh, the other night against Morocco, didn't they? Yeah, um, I was disappointed that Canada haven't managed to, um, to pull off a couple of results. I've been, I've been impressed with um, kind of elements of their play. I quite like the manager. He seems to just say what he thinks, and there's absolutely no filter there. He just kind of comes out with it and doesn't doesn't he really bother about who he upsets, which is quite when, nice to see. When uh, when Gio was uh, in line for the sacking, I was and we're looking at candidates. I'm thinking, I'd like to see how this Canadian fella gets on. You know, being he's for Derby, isn't he? He's an English fella. Um, I thought maybe he could be a candidate, but I haven't heard them talking. I mean, very positive, but I throw that into the old firm environment and it's just going to be war, isn't it? He's just, <laughs> he's just going for it. The, he upset the, Cro- the Croats as well. Um, but I, he's, I like to say he's good value. And I think that's one of the things. Croatia, uh, like Canada took the lead against them and then Croatia come back and they're winning before half time. Next day, it's almost like that Croat-Serbia rivalry. Um, they're a goal down to Cameroon and they come back. They're 2-1 up uh, at half time. And it's, it's just, these have been the kind of games that have been kind of, uh, lighten up the, the second round you know I, I, I really, I've really been enjoying it and another one of the trends um, one of these things that's kind of starting this World Cup with the guys wearing face masks you know, Son South Korea he's wearing a face mask uh, is it Shkiri the number 17 I think for uh, Tunisia perhaps he was wearing a, a face mask and Guardiol of Croatia's wearing the wearing the old face mask and uh, Martin Keown was having a go at them saying I just get out there and go on mate don't bother with this protective gear um, but in that line, the thing I've really noticed is players celebrating tackles. This seems to become a big thing at this World Cup. Guys, you know, getting a tackle in early doors, usually a pretty clean one. Um, or in Val- Valverde's case against South Korea, kind of late on. Uh, winning the tackle, then you know, getting up and kind of pumping the fists and going to the crowd and all that. Um, is that something you approve of? But I feel, I feel, I feel it. You know, World Cups are kind of a bit foreign cultures, but I, I find that a bit kind of weird. How, how, how you think about it? I'll be honest, until I, I'd seen you mention it on the agenda, I, I wasn't actually hugely aware of it. It's not something I paid a huge amount of attention to, but to be honest, I'm all for it. I think we know from Ibrox, certainly, one of the things that gets the crowd off their feet other than a goal is a good crunching tackle, especially in an old firm game. Um, an early crunching tackle is something that'll get the, get the crowd off their feet, so I'm all for it. The other thing that, going a bit off topic, that I like to see is when a team gets a corner and they start kind of you know, on the fans, I think I need I need more of that as well as the celebrating the tackles. 
that's it. Just get things going, especially in these stadiums. A lot of them are kind of there's big gaps in the crowd. There's, they're not yeah. being sold out, and so I suppose if it gets them going, that's that's a good thing. I thought Andy Halliday, uh, yes, Hogmanay 2018, basically the tackle that set 55 in motion took another couple yes. of years, but you know that kind of got it going. I I suppose so. I, I was thinking about it negatively. I was thinking more like kind of Fabio Cardoso. I remember him celebrating a few tackles once, and me thinking, mate. At Rangers, you don't you don't celebrate tackles. You just especially if you're a centre half. You know, it's just it's your job kind of thing. You know, but um, I what, what is it? Matondo, the, the, the guy of Qatar, he celebrated one in the first few minutes uh, when Qatar were playing Senegal. He won a wee tackle. Uh, I think he's the only one though that ended up in the losing team. You know, uh, we got Aaron Moy, you know, who's playing for the wrong club now. He did he did one in the first uh, the kind of last minute for Australia against uh, Tunisia, and there's a guy uh, Laiduni of Tunisia who's a fantastic big player. Um, He's 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 all over the place. I know a lot of folks fancy him for Rangers, but he did in the first few minutes against Denmark, and he ended up getting a nil-nil Tunisia, and uh, it set him in the way of playing really well in that game. But uh, you also had uh, Darwin Nunes of Uruguay last night celebrating getting tackled um, <laughs> against Portugal in the first five minutes. I think it won him a corner or something like that. But he's up and he's kicking the he's kicking the advertising hoardings and get so yeah. Valverde did it against South Korea celebrating a tackle. And then you've uh, got Darwin Nunes celebrating getting tackled. So Uruguay don't have any goals, but they really know how to they really know how to celebrate a tackle. <laughs> they, they might just want something to celebrate. They've not had any goals to celebrate. Exactly. Any, any, any excuse to celebrate? It seems like. I'm starting to wonder. It wasn't. It was um, the fellow Schlotterbeck. We plays for Germany um, against Spain on Sunday night. I was watching that one, and it's it's one each. It was really tight, and he had a tackle in his own box in the last minute, and he gets up and celebrates it, and that made me think. Is this is it actually as much about fooling the referee? If you get up and celebrate the tackle, it's a way of saying, "Oh, it's clean. It's a great tackle." You know. I never actually thought about that, but that's probably that's a good point. I do think there's a time to celebrate a tackle. I don't mind if it's in the dying minutes and you're trying to see out a game. Celebrating a tackle in the opening stages, I'm not. I'm not quite for that, to be honest. Um, the other thing I thought about is they might not want to celebrate a tackle if it goes out for a corner. They might not celebrate it because that might tell the referee that they've got the last touch. I know, I know. Um, so you kind of wonder if you think about all that, but um, it's an interesting development of the tournament, nonetheless. Aye, because we've got we've got Alan McGregor, obviously um, famous for making world class saves and then not not responding, and then not celebrating anyway because he just all he wants is a bike kick. You know, he doesn't want to happy not to take credit for any saves that he makes because <laughs> exactly. True class. That's that's some true class there. Another another trend. Um, which is I think it's, it, it becomes a trend within every World Cup. Um, is one that I'm always kind of fascinated by. It's probably my it's probably my favourite trend after the you know who's going to win the golden boot is uh, team kits. You know what's you know who's who's wearing what. You know I usually look, look at what manufacturers doing well at night get better kits than Puma and how's Adidas getting on uh, that kind of thing. I know and the iconography of World Cups, especially you think of the Brazil kit. Everybody knows what the, the Brazil kit looks like. Um, it's a big part of kind of covering up um, the criminality of FIFA. You know that's. If people are watching the, the, the kits, they're not thinking about what's going on uh, behind the scenes. I think if you go back to the 54 World Cup, you've got Scotland um, losing their first game 1-0 to Austria, losing their second game 7-0 to Uruguay, who were the holders. But part of that was they were playing in roasting heat in Basel and they still had their old woolen 1950s style Scotland jerseys. They didn't have a thin kit, didn't have a you know a kind of weather-appropriate top, whereas Uruguay did. They're used to playing that kind of heat. Um, so... They can actually affect your performance, but as a supporter watching them, do you enjoy uh, looking at the looking at the strips and what teams are wearing what, Brian? 
I'll be honest, it's not something I've really focused on. I'm I'm not by any stretch of the imagination a kit nerd. So my knowledge on this is far less than yours. Um, in terms of like good kits or bad kits, for me, the Brazil one is always iconic. You think of the World Cup and you think of instantly Brazil. They are for me like the kings of the World Cup because they've won it so many times and you know we're all we all know about they, they can all ram off the legendary players um over the years. So that's always an iconic one. Um again, Argentina, another iconic one for me. Just I just like that kind of simplicity of that kit. Um Spain for me, just because kind of my age in terms of their dominance from 2008 to 2012. Um, so that's another kind of iconic one for me, just because that was um, in terms of um, how dominant they were during that period. Um, and then another one I picked up, I'm not sure whether I would put this in the worst or the best. I don't know if you remember the Nigeria one of 2018. It was kind of the lime green zigzag one. Um, you really I'm need not sure to be whether both. that would, yeah. Uh, to, be, to carry that off, you really need to be, you know, um, a pretty a pretty decent footballer, don't you? Yeah, I, I think it would. Yeah, you need, need to be bold to be walking about wearing that. To be honest, <laughs> it's become part of the, the Nigerian identity, though. Their kits are, are always quite. They're, they're, they're bothering on the wild, glowing green, and it um, ends up being. It's one of those kits you think I would look terrible, and I would look terrible in most things. But uh, you know, you're kind of normal Scottish footballer uh, when you when you want to carry it off. But um, it looks absolutely fantastic uh, on Nigeria because it's such a part of their uh, identity of that team as well. Like Brazil and us, I think that I think the kind of uh, test for this was when Hamilton Aki's. Um, oh God, it could be about ten years back. I don't. The years fly when you get to my age, but they had the Argentina strip and the Brazil strip. Uh, so as they did. So <laughs> they did. boys yeah. just didn't they look quite the same. Um, it's, yeah. it's, uh, is uh, Chirezzo and Zico and Falca and these kind of guys. Um, Argentina, this is the first World Cup I remember, 1978. It was all Adidas kits. It was you know real kit buffs. I, I'm just going to, a bit of a tourist, real kit buffs going to decry that World Cup because they were all just wearing the same kind of template, Adidas template. Apart from Mexico, who had uh, a Levi's kit. This kit was sponsored by Levi's. That was uh, an absolute cracker. Uh, Scotland, obviously, were a number in that World Cup. But for me, I, I actually love the basic three stripes, and then just your colours and uh, the Argentina kit in that final. Uh, that that's probably the I think made the Argentina kit my kind of basic favourite um, when it comes to World Cup. I think Germany have absolutely ruined theirs uh, in this World Cup. The nice white, black, white. I don't, see, you know, I know they had the, the lovely German flag kind of design on their uh, iconic nineteen ninety uh, strip when they won it in nineteen ninety, but they have this big black band of big stripe they've got down the middle. I think it's really it's really quite ugly. Yeah. Um, Spain, funny you mentioned Spain. I actually, that's my biggest bugbear when it comes to kits because Spain used to be the most beautiful kit in the world when, when I was a boy. Um, they ruined it by going with these kind of self-coloured socks and shorts, the kind of, kind of ready blue. I, they're, they're going all red at times. They're going, you know, these kind of lighter blue socks that used to have lovely satiny, you know, just deep red shirts, the glowing light blue shorts. And then they had the the black socks, all black socks with just a little Spanish flag on the kind of fold. Absolutely tremendous. Um, but my favourite World Cup kit of all time, nobody's asking, but I'm just going to tell them anyway. Um, Algeria, 1982. Um, my barber's actually Algeria. Yes, I do still uh, use a barber, you know, believe it or not. Just try to keep folk in a job. Um, my barber, barber's actually Algerian and... Uh, that's how we bonded. I was talking about when when Algeria beat Germany, West Germany in the nineteen eighty two World Cup. Uh, they had this kit that was just green on the top, green shorts, you know, and red socks. I don't know if it's something that clashed the red with the green, you know, kind of messed with my 
Celtic hating thing. It just, it was just, it was too good. It was just something kind of transgressive about it, all this. And they'd lovely big Arabic writing on the front of their kit, which I think was something to do. They just like Algeria is fantastic. And what I didn't realize, uh, kit nerds will be able to tell you this, is they actually wore a different top the first half and the second half. Uh, they changed to a different, a slightly different green and white home top. And it took me just the, the 30 years to notice that. So that's that's how much I know about how much I know about kits. But uh, I've been enjoying it. I thought uh, Senegal's top, uh, Senegal's uh, strip today when they were beating Ecuador was was uh, pretty lovely. But something I'll keep my eye on anyway. More important, um, we'll, we'll get back to basics here, uh, Brian. You're watching this World Cup. You're seeing plenty of guys um, that you've never heard of before doing the business or not doing the business. Do you see any possible January signings there uh, for Rangers? Yeah, there was one player I had my on until he made two mistakes. Um, it was the the big Canada centre half. I think his name's Miller. He plays for Montreal. Um, he did make the two mistakes the other night um, against um, Croatia to give away the, the two goals. But up until that point, I thought, this guy looks like a bit of a dominant centre half, I think. Yeah, we could do worse than, um, than look at him. Um, he's the only one that's going to stood out for, for Rangers. I did... Um, I think it was another Canada player, the boy number 11, Buchanan, but I think he plays for Bruges. I think he might be a bit outside our, um, our price range. I think he'll have a few other um, clubs from kind of bigger leagues looking at him now, but he's done very well as well. Right, it's, 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 a, it's a weird one. I think that, is that the fellow that was stomping the grass? Yes, yes. Aye, yeah, yeah. I know, I know exactly who you're talking about. Um, I, he played quite well up until that point, but that, that, was, that game kind of pointed out for me a, a real kind of, um, a real kind of conundrum. Like you say, you're watching Buchanan, you know, and he's going down and he's and he's putting the ball in for Canada's first ever goal in the World Cup finals. Alphonse Davis uh, putting it in, and you're thinking Canada's the kind of country they're not used to getting to World Cups. We there'll be rich pickings there if anybody plays well. But as you say yeah. he the fellow put the cross in plays for Bruges, yeah. who are in the Champions League all the time, and the yeah. guy scoring the goals at Bayern Munich. You know he's a yeah. star in Germany, so we get no chance yeah. of holding up. Whereas one of the fellows that scored for Croatia. He's like, I think he's 29, 30 years old and he plays up front for Hadjok Split. Levaya, yeah. 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 So the country that's, that's only in their second, that's going their first ever goal in the World Cup, we're never going to buy any off them. Whereas the country that was runners up in the last World Cup, there's a big fella playing for them that we could probably go and pick off. You know, it's, it's strange. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really weird. You know what I mean? But uh, I, I'm at a stage, I just think with the World Cup in general, if they're performing this stage at all, the way Rangers are just now, the, the way the financial situation is, somebody else is going to get in there first who can, yeah. you know, can afford these. But like I say, I think is it Lai, Lai Duny, the fella's name is, that plays for Tunisia. He was impressing a lot of people, yeah, particularly the first game against Denmark. But uh, Patrick Kasky, who we all know is a great kind of authority in these things, uh, he'd been talking about him for a while and almost, but I think he was kind of pulling his hair out saying, you know, we should have picked him up before this World Cup because it's just a big, massive kind of advertisement uh, for, for these kind of players. Somebody else will... I'll come in and get them. One last uh, thing I'll ask you, Brian. Next round of fixtures, um, the, the the final round of fixtures in the group stages. Who are you? Uh, what kind of fixtures are you looking forward to? But more importantly, how are you going to decide what one to watch? Seeing as seeing as each group plays its final game simultaneously. So in terms of the one to watch, um, I'm probably a bit bad for this. I tend to watch the bigger nations rather than the, the game that's got the most jeopardy on it. So I watch. The Brazil, I watch Argentina, I watch Spain, even if the other games get more jeopardy on it. Um, but a few of the interesting games I've picked out, Poland versus Argentina. I think Argentina probably still need a result to guarantee them going through. I think it'd be a massive shock if they went out at this stage, especially with it being um, Messi's last World Cup, so there's a bit of narrative around that. 
um, in a bit of jeopardy. Ghana versus Uruguay, purely because I hope that Suarez plays and we kind of get that um, kind of rivalry back. Uh, I did hear earlier on that Asamoah Jan tried to um, declare himself fit for this World Cup. Apparently he was trying to make a bit of a comeback for this World Cup. So, that, so that he could get into That would have been interesting. <laughs> Right, I could. That's basically getting revenge for a game that took place twelve years ago. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought Suarez was hard done by that night. I must admit, I remember watching that, and the uh, English commentators weren't too partial to him. They were wanting Ghana to, to get into the semi-finals, the first Africans to get into the semi-finals. But uh, I understood that. But it's like he's standing in the tunnel watching and celebrating the penalty getting missed. But you would want your teammate. To, to me, it's like if you get a red card. And you get sent off, but you still care so much yeah. that even though you're not playing the next game, you're up there hoping that your team's still doing the business. That's a good teammate, eh, as far as I'm concerned. But I, I don't think the I don't think the Ghanaians see it that way, do they? No, oh, I don't think so. I think they were. Uh, I think they'll be out for revenge, put it that way. Yeah, I definitely ah. think they'll have they'll have revenge on their mind. And then Australia versus Denmark, I think will be an interesting one because I think Denmark have kind of flattered to deceive a bit. I think they they were a few people's dark horses, but I don't think they've kind of. Played quite as well as some expected. They're definitely missing a top number nine. You feel like they're a real top number nine away from from being able to do something as a nation. Um, you know, if if Haaland was was Danish, I think they would. Um, Aye. they might be. You know, getting on a bit better. Um, but I think that game will be be interesting as well. Aye. I'm assuming I I I actually liked it. It's the games of the jeopardy, and I must admit, but I do find that um, I've done the thing where I was, I'll try and flick. You know, like I think ITV are doing it or STV and ITV4 and uh, the BBC yeah. I think tonight the, the England-Wales game is on BBC1 and then you've got um, Iran against the USA which I kind of rematch 98 I mean the, the politics behind that fixture absolutely you know I've I've, I've got worse or, or better if anything and um, that's on BBC2 I've done that thing where you try to flick between the two games and you end up watching neither of them you, yeah. every time you flick you miss a goal in the other game yeah. You know, I've done the thing where you get like a second screen, like a tablet, and try and put one of the games on the tablet and then one of the games on the TV, and it's the same. You end up watching none of them. Um, so usually I just kind of pick my game and stick to it, and I'll maybe keep an eye on. Usually they'll tell you the score from the other game, so I'll kind of keep an eye on it. But um, but yeah, I think it's, a, it's a pity because, like yourself, I mean, I think Cameroon against Brazil will be a wonderful occasion. You know, be a, a game you'd love to watch. But for me, Switzerland against Serbia, the rematch. You know, which is also because of Shakiri and um, Xhaka, is yeah. uh, Serbia against uh, Kosovo, basically. And um, there's also been a bit of build-up. You know, the, the Serbs have been putting nasty flags up um, with the phrase "no surrender" um, on them in their dressing room. I, I just can't imagine supporting a team that's uh, that goes about shouting about "no surrender." Can you, mate? No, no that's no, that, that's terrible. Things we don't like to see. Exactly, exactly. I think I think we better leave it there. My partner's getting worse by the second. Um, listen, folks, thanks very much for watching. Um, I don't know when you'll get to see this or if it'll be allowed to go at all. Um, but uh, if it is by that time, you should also have a pod. Uh, Colin Armstrong and Stuart Weir are talking to Professor Brian Howison. Yeah, about Professor Howison's brilliant book uh, about Rangers' uh, financial collapse and, and how we fought our way back. Um, to be to be able to afford Michael Beal um, and, and half of the Tunisia squad uh, in January. Um, so have a look out for that. And uh, so Brian and myself might be back for, a, we're planning to do a wee review of the, the final round of, of group fixtures and a wee preview of the, the last 16. But until then, just to say thanks very much to Brian. Brian, have I gone on too much, mate? No, not at all, not at all. It was a pleasure as always. Some man, you'll be, you'll be paid well for saying that, mate. I'll get, I'll get a check off to you. And uh, thanks to you guys for watching. I've been Alec Anderson. Thanks very much. Good night.